0: Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing, and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Today for Spirit in Action, we'll have part one of a two-part visit with Tax resistance activists. Without our money, our country could not carry out war in our name. Every year, around April 15th, Americans are asked to make sure the national coffers are filled, and about half of the income taxes paid go to the military. Over two weeks, we'll visit with three war tax resistors about their activism around peace and not paying for war. Lincoln Rice is coordinator for NWTRCC, that's the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee. He's also active with Milwaukee, Wisconsin's Catholic Worker House, Casa Maria, as is our second guest, Don Timmerman. Many of Don's stories can be found in his book, Midwife of Grace. Our third war tax resistor is Kathy Deppi, currently active with the Merchants of Death War Crimes Tribunal, including organizing an action against General Atomics this past February. Now, let's head to Milwaukee, Wisconsin for a visit with Lincoln Rice. Lincoln, it's wonderful to have you back for Spirit in Action.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful
0: to be here. And how are things going in Milwaukee, the, you know, the nerve center for war tax resistance in the United States?
1: Things in Milwaukee are good. I guess it is the nerve center. I haven't necessarily thought about it that way. But since the national offices for the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee, otherwise known as NUTRIC, are located here, it, it would be that central pulse, I suppose. Uh, when people ask questions, they contact Milwaukee. And but yeah, things are wonderful here. How is it? Is there something
0: special that made, I mean, the fact that you live there in Milwaukee is part of that reason, but I got involved with war tax resistance when I was in Milwaukee. Is there some importance demographically or something to war tax
1: resistance and Wisconsin? So the only reason that the main office for NUTRIC is in Milwaukee now is because I'm in Milwaukee and I'm the coordinator who kind of does most of the behind the scenes running of NUTRIC where previous to me, when the previous coordinator ran NUTRIC, she lived in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn was (laughs) the main hub. So basically wherever the coordinator is for NUTRIC, that's where the headquarters are. So it's a, a roving office. Is there any kind of a demographic map of war tax resistors in the U.S.? You know, we've never put one together, but I I know that it's probably heaviest in the Northeast and on the West Coast, and then I'd say the Midwest and the place where there's probably the least amount of war tax resistors, at least that we know of, would be in the South.
0: That's interesting. I've interviewed war tax resistors on Spirit in Action In the Carolinas, in California, in Massachusetts, obviously in Wisconsin, too. Oh, and in in Indiana, of course, too. So the conscience and military tax campaign, I think, was centered in Indiana. So I'm just wondering some about the demographics, about people who pursue this as uh, one way to fight the war machine. What was your reason for getting connected to war tax resistance?
1: It was a mix of coming into contact with the Catholic worker movement. I'd read about the Catholic worker movement kind of just by accident, more so as a high school student growing up in Green Bay. I was into Catholic theology and just picking books off the shelf that looked interesting. And one of them happened to be Dorothy Day's autobiography. Then, when I moved down to go to college here in Milwaukee, where I ended up staying, I got involved with and ended up joining the Catholic worker movement here and where there were war tax resistors who lived here. And it was a Nutric, about a year after I moved into the Casa Maria Catholic worker, it was in November of 1999 that Casa Maria, along with some other local war tax resistance folks, hosted a Nutric gathering here in Milwaukee, which is how I met other Nutric people. But I say it was All of those things combined with especially the sanctions on Iraq at the time. I remember shortly after moving into Casa Maria, I didn't have a TV in my room at the time, but one of my fellow workers had a little TV in her room. And I was chatting with her while she was watching something on PBS. And it was a Madeleine Albright interview where she was asked about the UNICEF number that UNICEF at that time had estimated that because of the sanctions, around half of a million children had died in Iraq, because those sanctions also affected the influx of medical supplies, the influx of computer components that would have fixed their water filtration plants, which weren't able to put out clean water. And she was asked, you know, were the sanctions worth all these deaths? And she responded, yes. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, if this is what a high-ranking person in the Clinton administration can say that these children's deaths are worth the sanctions in Iraq, then there's a problem with U.S. priorities.
0: At what point did you assume the coordinator position for NUTRIC, for National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee? The links, by the way, folks, are on northernspiritradio.org. When did you rise to that position of responsibility?
1: In May of 2018, so at that time, Ruth Ben, who had been the coordinator for the previous 15 years, decided to step down. And she likes to remind people she's not retired. She still does other. She she's an independent contractor who does lots of other work for groups, but. Decided to step down from this role. And I had been in my involvement with Nutric, as I said, went back to 99. And in the early 2000s, I was on their board for a period of time, and I'd served on different committees. And so it was a group I'd come to really appreciate in a number of ways and appreciate the work they do and the people who are a part of it. And so when the opening came, I thought, well, actually, it was kind of strange, because normally I've only applied for new jobs when I didn't like the job I was currently in. (laughs) But at the time, I was doing some bookkeeping work for a nonprofit on the south side of Milwaukee, and I really enjoyed the office there and the people. And, you know, they were doing outreach for a community that was kind of a 50-50 mix of English and Spanish speaking and doing lots of wonderful work. But but I knew this was a type of position that only opens up every once in a while. And to be able to be in regular contact with people dedicated to peace from all over the United States is, was hard to pass up.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts of the work of war tax resistance. Right now, we're in April of 2023, and each year there's activities, actions to raise public awareness to war tax resistance, because tax day being April 15th, we each know that we have to focus on our taxes, and here's what we've got to give to the government for what the government's doing, and typically that means that 50% of that money that we pay in goes to pay for military, and we don't want to pay for war. I mean, if if people consciously said, which kid am I willing to buy the bullet to kill— Or which bomb am I willing to pay for to kill these 20 people, including these children and their mothers and so on? And people, the headlines go to the people who are Al-Qaeda leaders who got killed. But we normally ignore the 90% of people who are collateral damage who get killed. So there are actions each year i got involved with war tax resistance 1981 1982 was my first year acting as a war tax resistor in milwaukee where you're living although i'm four hours away by car don timmerman came to our group with an idea for an action and he said he had seen somewhere else where that someone offered to pay their tax bill their federal tax bill with food instead of with money and that the food could not be used to kill people so on that day, I was the point person for that because I had, I only owed 80 some dollars in taxes and we gathered over $200 in food and we offered it to them. And so the headlines in the Milwaukee Journal IRS given food for thought. <laughs> And two of the three major news stations there in Milwaukee had it on the TV. My dad called me up the next day and said, did you hear about some asshole named Judkins who <laughs> he, he was a proud veteran of the Korean War. Anyway, and this was because of an idea for an action that Don Timmerman gave to us. The IRS in this case, my case, refused the food and so we promptly took the food to a food bank instead so we fed human needs instead of feeding the war machine could you tell us a little bit about some of the actions happening this year that are going on across the u.s
1: sure and yeah just a reminder for folks if you want to see the most updated list of actions yeah nutrix website it's our acronym nwtrcc.org or if you google war tax resistance. You'll see the list there. But I know uh, people do a lot of different types of actions. One that comes to my mind right away, I know on tax day itself, which this year is Tuesday, April 18th, there's a group of folks in Tucson who are going to be going to the headquarters for Raytheon missile systems and having a peace vigil there. And their reasoning for doing their tax day demonstration there is that the weapons that are made there have actually been found by their serial part numbers at the scenes of murders of mass destruction in different parts of the globe One of the ones that they're advertising, kind of one of the more horrific ones, is that this Raytheon plant in Tucson makes smart bombs. And one of their smart bombs was confirmed to have killed 20, at least 23 people at a wedding in northern Yemen in 2018. So it's, you know, they go there because they can actually trace from that plant, you know, innocent people who've been murdered by weapons made there by people, you know, U.S. citizens.
0: And this relates to what I said That, in fact, most of the people killed by our weapons are so-called collateral damage. It's not people who are actively promoting evil themselves. So,
1: Raytheon, there's going to be action there. What are they going to do, actually? They're going to be holding signs for the workers as they come in to try to remind them. And there'll be tax day signs to remind folks who are driving by in general about their money is going to places like this plant, to create weapons of mass destruction, but also for the workers to dissuade them from participating in the creation of weapons that are used to kill people. And I do remember going back to, you know, things that got me interested in war tax resistance. I remember in the late, when smart bombs were kind of all the rage (laughs) in the late 90s, early 2000s, I remember at that time, even the US government was sharing that, you know, they're on target 90% of the time. So granted, some of those targets 90% of the time are the wrong place based on bad intel, but that also means 10% of the time, if they shoot off 10,000 smart bombs, 100 of them will land where they didn't want them to land.
0: Yeah, and we can ignore that and say, well, that's pretty good 90% of the time, but when you're part of the 10%, that's a major issue,
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if if that was if there were another country that had problems with terrorists in the United States and they were bombing them, but 10 percent of the time they just blew up a hospital or a school or just your home, there would be outrage in the United States.
0: So other actions going on that are maybe significant across the United States? Maybe all of them are. For me, I found when I was part of the actions and we did the eight years I lived there in Milwaukee, each of the four weeks leading up to tax day we would be leafleting and witnessing and probably do some kind of special action on the 15th. But instead of just saying it's one day when we think about this, we really need to be thinking about it all year long because actually the money for your taxes is typically withheld from your pay way ahead of time. So time to make a decision is early on if you're going to be effective or tax resistor.
1: And that's why many folks, you know, there's places all over I know in from Chico, California to South Bend, Indiana to (laughs) Manhattan, for some of them, it'll be leafleting at post offices, for some, they'll be in front of IRS offices, I know in Manhattan, they're going to be doing a march from the IRS office to Wall Street, in those places where there'll be lots of foot traffic they'll be handing out pie charts that are put together by the War Resisters League each year that really should, they comb through the actual proposed budget and see how much actually goes to war. And that's where we come up with this number for about 50%. Even though it's put out by the War Resisters League, there's always information in there that if you're interested in war tax resistance, it directs them to go to Nutrix website so that they can find out how to be a war tax resistor. Or as you mentioned, since if you're an employee, and the taxes are removed from your paycheck before you even get them, it explains methods that you can use to prevent that from happening.
0: And there's whole questions of legal responsibility, effectiveness. All of these things are widely discussed and considered in the war tax resistance movement. A lot of people can easily say, well, yeah, if I had my choice, of course, I wouldn't give it to the military. But how can I be effective? And there are people who have been very effective. I interviewed one just very recently. He used to live down in Chicago, Carl Meyer. He's now Further south, I interviewed him this past year, and he was one of the inspirations for me for saying, not only can I do something that I think is morally right, but I can be effective at it. That's a trade-off that a lot of people have to think about very carefully.
1: Yeah, the, the other part, you know, with Carl Meyer, who is also was it has been an inspiration for me, when he became a war tax resistor, I'm assuming he became a war tax resistor in the late 50s when he got involved with the Catholic Worker Movement. But, you know, during that time with the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, that he's been a war tax resistor, the IRS had so much more funding, and it was... I mean, the chances of the money being taken (laughs) were so much greater. Uh, Carl, uh, lots of war tax resistors from that era have stories of their cars being taken. That was a common thing. Carl, I know, had his car taken at least once by the IRS and sold at auction. But really, since the mid to late 90s, where Some of the IRS is maybe a little too aggressive, and had taken maybe some cars and homes that shouldn't have been taken. They've really stepped back from that. So the last time that we know of anyone in our movement having a home or a car taken was in 1996, I believe. And unless someone falsifies their tax forms and so tries to hide assets, the IRS they have a what they call a criminal arm and a civil arm. As long as someone doesn't falsify their tax forms, they tend to use their civil arm. So there hasn't been someone that's been jailed for war tax resistance unless they practiced fraud for many decades. So it's really just that civil arm, which over the last 20 years or so has also been less effective. I probably do get a call every year, maybe once a year or so, where someone in our network As a bank account levied and the money taken out, or they might get a garnishment at their job. But I always refer to it as the reverse lottery. It happens, but it's surprisingly rare unless the IRS gets a significant bump in money, which they did actually starting this year. They're getting some more money, but it's the amount of money that they're getting will bring them back to their level of funding in 2010. And they weren't that effective in 2010. They really need to get the type of funding that they had during the 70s and 80s in order that it become a common thing for them to always collect on people who are resisting.
0: These are all questions of the nuts and bolts of war tax resistance. There's creativity that also goes into war tax resistance because, again, of our discretionary federal spending, roughly 50% of it goes to the military. And most people think, well, no, it all goes to welfare. It all goes to coddling people, whatever, education And those are drops in the bucket compared to what the military is. And actually, something else a lot of people don't seem to realize, the privatization of military contracts has led to increased spending. But it's now spending that goes to the profit of the profiteers, the private people who run that. So the more that we've outsourced military functions to contractors, the more we've actually spent on the military and of course, this is a thing that uh, particularly conservatives like to tout. We got to support the military, but in fact, we're not supporting the military near as much as we're supporting profiteers.
1: Yes, and I think I'll, along with these creative actions that are happening across the United States, some groups are trying to kind of add to that creativity with who they partner with. So, as I I mentioned in Manhattan. They're going to be having this march from the IRS to Wall Street, but it's not just going to be peace people and war tax resistant folks. They're collaborating also with groups like Extinction Rebellion, who are planning to do some sort of action at Wall Street. I don't think that's been determined or publicized yet, but they did that last year also. I think that last year they did a die-in, the Extinction Rebellion folks. And in Eugene, Oregon, they're going to be joining with Extinction Rebellion folks and other groups on Earth Day. So they're kind of, in Eugene, to draw these connections, they're ha- having a action on Tax Day and Earth Day. And again, the reason that they're doing this collaboration is to also recognize it's not only people that are being directly murdered and harmed by the U.S. war machine, uh, but it's also the planet, which in the end will also harm people, that the U.S. military is actually the number one institutional user of oil in the world. They use more oil than many small countries, and they use more oil than any corporation in the world by themselves. The environmental harm caused by the military is just extraordinary.
0: It's just absolutely crazy. And again, one of the reasons the war tax resistance is so important to me is it's because I try and look at myself and say, where am I aiding good in the world and where am I causing harm? So I'm a vegetarian because because that makes a difference in terms of environmental impact as well as suffering of animals. I prefer to bicycle. I have a Prius because I'm also concerned of climate crisis that's happening in our world. It's not only what I get others to do, but it's what I do. And hopefully if everyone was introspective about such things, they will make a choice that will be better for the world, that is more compassionate, which is more world healing, which is, of course, what spirit and action is all about. Are there any other actions that we should talk about, think about, uh, actions in the past
1: that have been inspirational, innovative, creative from your point of view? I know it's kind of a mix. Uh there's in Milwaukee, I was inspired by an action from last year in San Diego. So there's often been a phrase among Keith's people, something to the effect of, you know, it's at your high schools for, you know, human needs, there's often this need for a bake sale. And so there's often this quote, that's something to the effect of longing for the day when the military is so strapped for cash that they need to have a bake sale. And so uh, San Diego, which is part of the Southern War Tax Resistance Group, they had a bake sale last year, which kind of in big letters on their banner said bake sale for military and then slightly smaller letters, victims. And I just thought that's pretty creative. And I knew here in Milwaukee, we used to, as you know, go to the IRS office every year. And they keep moving the IRS office. A few years ago, it had been in kind of this blue federal building on the second floor. And, but there's a lot of foot traffic. So when I first came to Milwaukee and joined the Milwaukee War Tax Resistance Group in the late 90s, a bunch of us, we protest outside for a little bit, hand out leaflets. And then a bunch of us would go up the stairs and try to give letters or something symbolic to the IRS employees. And at that point, we're usually arrested by the Milwaukee Police Department and taken to downtown the downtown police station. But then they moved to this other building where they're on the third floor and there's absolutely no traffic. We went out there one year and we're just like, this is for ourselves and the IRS employees, because no one's around. It was a uh, the other place had been a lot of other there were many offices there with a lot of traffic. So Now we've been going to the Army Reserve Base on the northwest side of Milwaukee. There's a lot of car traffic, but not a lot of foot traffic. So we thought, so two things we're going to do different this year to try to take advantage of the fact or induce people to maybe stop or chat with us. One is the bake sale. There is a kind of the side of the road people could easily pull over and stop if they want. People rarely do, but we thought if there was a bake sale for military victims, where we'd give, I'm not sure yet who we're collecting the money for, but probably uh, war victims in Ukraine. Well, one of the groups that's doing support work there. So I'm going to do a bunch of baking the week leading up to tax day, put it in little, you know, Ziploc bags. I was thinking of frying some donuts, homemade donuts, and, you know, selling them kind of for whatever anyone wants to pay to donate to military victims of the United States and U- U.S. weapons. And so that, that would be one way to maybe get people to pull off the road and get more involved in thinking about where their tax dollars are going. The other is we're going to be putting QR codes on our signs because there is a stoplight there. we at an intersection. There's a stoplight. And so traffic will build up and there will be people looking at us through their cars as they're waiting for the light to turn green. And though it's not always opportune to hand out flyers to them, if we have QR codes, I mean, I must admit, it seems like half the people I see driving by, if I'm walking the dog in the afternoon, half the people seem to be on their phones. So since now that they're at a stoplight on their phone, all they have to do is move their hand over to the QR code on our sign, and it'll bring them to Nutrix website to find out more about resistance. So. Trying to, yeah, be creative with different situations, but also being able to reach people where they're at with their cell phones in the 21st century. Yeah, we
0: have to catch up with the 21st. A
1: lot of us having
0: trouble still being in the 20th. I was thinking, by the way, kinds of pastries you could make that would have specific meanings. How about bear claw as a weapon thing? I don't know. I was I was thinking a cream horn. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of names that might be uh, specifically, uh, there's one that's, uh, I don't even know how it's pronounced, I don't recall, Profetorol,
1: Profetorol, do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) I have an old family recipe that goes back to my bohemian Czech roots that's, uh, it's called a curler, but these curlers, they're kind of long, circular, and thin, and they kind of curl a bit. But maybe I should give them some sort of missile name. I'm not sure. <laughs> They'll kind of look like twisted missiles. Maybe, maybe twisted missiles.
0: <laughs> and, and since you're associated with the Catholic Worker movement from France, there's something that's called nuns' puffs. Hmm. <laughs> I thought maybe. Okay, I have a lot of bad ideas in my life, but I thought it might. <laughs> I, I just thought it might be a good idea to have something associated. Yeah. One more thing I was going to mention about war tax resistance. A lot of people think that maybe it's a new thing. Certainly, Jesus is asked of, about giving money to the government, right? You know, give to Caesar what Caesar's, render unto God what's God's. Quakers in the early formation of this country were very significant in at least three or four of the colonies. And so when they were still colonies, not independent nation, the government in England would ask for funding for the wars that they were doing. And so in a number of cases, in particular Pennsylvania was a very important case because Quakers were so influential in that province, now a state. When they asked for that, they didn't want to give money to support war. And so we're talking about the 1600s here, right? We're not talking about the sixteen and 1700s. We're not talking about... The 20th century or anything like that. And so they would sometimes make various actions, refuse, in other ways resist paying for war tax resistance as a colony. So the idea of war tax resistance is not at all new. Uh, It's just that we've been more and more distanced from what our government does because we are not aware of the fact that i pay a dollar and that dollar pays for a bullet that kills this child because we get distance from the effects of our money being spent we tend to not think about war tax resistance perhaps and i want to thank you and all the people of nutrick and all the war tax resistors across the country for trying to raise up consciousness so people make decisions that are in line with their own values
1: Thank you, Mark. This has been wonderful. And yeah, and there, as you're right, there's this long history that goes back. Almost any civilization that we have enough records from, we can find examples of war tax resistance. And the Quakers have a long and proud history, though. The earliest recorded example of war tax resistance in the United States, I believe, was in Pennsylvania, but it was actually performed by an Algonquin tribe that the Dutch settlers were trying to tax them to build a military fort. And they realized this military fort will probably be used against them at some point, and they refused to pay for it. Uh, so that you know, the, the Algonquin tribe in, that happened to be in modern-day Pennsylvania is our earliest recorded example in the United States. Then followed by a long proud history of Quakers.
0: Well, I do hope our Spirit in Action listeners consider how they live out their concern for the world in their lives, make choices and support other people in doing that. So thank you again. Again, we've been speaking with Lincoln Rice, who is the coordinator for NUTRIC. NUTRIC is the acronym for the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee and so their website is nwtrcc.org the links on northernspiritradio.org you can simply google war tax resistance You'll get their website thank you so much lincoln
1: thank you mark
0: folks lincoln has also helped me connect up with a couple people i both who i know who i've interviewed before so pretty shortly we'll just we'll start talking to Kathy Deppy and don timmerman But before we talk with Don Timmerman, I want to remind you this is Spirit in Action, and our wonderful, rich, and amazing website is northernspiritradio.org, where you can connect to and listen to all of my Spirit in Action Song of Soul guests for the past almost 18 years. When you listen, remember to post a comment, because your voice and your input truly matter. You can also help make Northern Spirit Radio sustainable with your donation. We count on you, not government or corporations. You know who else depends on you? The community radio stations that carry these shows, and that's something between 35 and 45 of them. And their work is so very valuable that I'm hoping that, first of all, you help them out with your hands and wallet. Right now, we're over to our second of our three guests of this two-part series on war tax resistance. Next up, also in Milwaukee, is Don Zimmerman. Don, what a delight to hear you after probably more 40 years or something. We haven't talked. Yeah, well, thank you for interviewing me. You were part of the Milwaukee War Tax Resistance Group that I joined in 1981. In 82, my first year as a war tax resistor, I got to be the figurehead for what we were doing with an idea that you came up with. I related it when I was talking to Lincoln. You had heard about some other group that had provided food instead of taxes, and we did that. Do you remember at all where that idea came from and how long you had been involved with Milwaukee War Tax Resistance before that?
2: Well, I first started when I listened to a talk given by a long war tax resistor, Carl Meyer. He mentioned in the talk... Yeah, the war tax resistance is not only resisting paying for violence, but it's also to help people with the money that you are refusing to give to the military, to help people with whatever they need. That convinced me that this was a good thing to do. So he's been the start for all of this, really, for me. And he mentioned that he was attending a demonstration in New York City, and he said there was about a million people there protesting the war in Vietnam. And he thought to himself, he says, now, if all of these people here refused to pay their taxes because much of the money was used for military weapons used to kill the Vietnamese, it would have been a big change for the government. They would have probably had to stop the war. So that convinced me that that was the way to go. If you want to bring about change, you have to do something positive. And uh, I think that that's the main issue.
0: Yeah. And redirecting the money, using it for a good purpose. I was there in Milwaukee, part of the war tax group, when I think we had him come and speak to the group in Milwaukee. And I interviewed him, by the way, this past year. I interviewed him about his life memoir. Oh, good. And one of the biggest points is, so if you take away $500 million from the military, well, that's a drop in the bucket, considering how big their budget was, over $850 billion this year. Yeah. But if you take $100 million, and you give it to the homeless, you can eliminate homelessness in some major cities throughout the country. So a drop in the bucket to the military is a flood in terms of human needs.
2: Well, they say like 3% of the military budget could feed the world all the hunger in the world, be eliminated. But, um, you know, it's how we use our money, how we use our resources that's most important. And if we're nonviolent, we cannot by any means use money for doing violence to others. So, I mean, as part of the Catholic Worker movement, which I'm a part of, is that we live out nonviolence in word and deed. And I think that's important to always remember why we're doing this. We're not doing it for publicity. We're doing it for helping people.
0: Which came first, the Catholic worker or the war tax resistance for you? The Catholic worker came first. Even though I've known you all of these years, I don't think I've ever heard about your history with Catholic Worker or with that part of activism. Could you share that with our Spirit in Action listeners?
2: I came back from Africa. I've been working in Tanzania, East Africa. And I came back in 1972. I saw a cousin of mine at Marquette University who was practicing teaching there. She suggested that I go visit Casa Maria while I'm on vacation. So I came back from Africa. I was going to go back again, but I was on leave. (laughs) And so she says, yeah, stop by Casa Maria. I think you'd enjoy that. One day I was going to go to visit my relatives in Dubuque, Iowa, but it was raining like cats and dogs and I could hardly see it with the car. So I stopped and I says, what am I going to do for today? And I says, I know I'll visit that Casa Maria that uh, my cousin was talking about. So I went there. I introduced myself. I said, "I'm Don Zimmerman, and I'm coming to learn more about what you do here." Gene Burns was the person that was there. He he was by himself, pretty much, running the house. And he begged me. <laughs> he must have talked to me for an hour or so, begging me to stay with him because we they needed help, and he was getting burnt out, and he wanted someone to help. So I. I understood what they were doing. They were offering hospitality to the homeless and giving food and furniture and items to the poor to help them survive. So I started in 72, and i have been with it up until today.
0: So you didn't go back to Tanzania? No. What had you been doing there?
2: Well, I went over as a seminarian. I had joined the Salvatorians, which is a religious order. And uh, they asked me what I would like to do as a priest, and I thought, well, I guess I would like to go to the missions, you know, to, to go to another country and proclaim Christ, I guess. They said, okay, this has never been done before by us, but we'll take our chance and we'll send you to a mission in Tanzania, East Africa, Nachigua Diocese, where our priests are there, and the bishop is a salvatorian, so yes, we can make that work. So I went there as a seminarian. I had just finished my philosophy in Marquette. So I went to Tanzania, the Nachanguea Diocese, and they put me to work helping with the parish and so forth. One of the things that happened to me in Nachanguea was I was talking to the people about Ujamaa, which is the philosophy of the President Ureri, who was president at the time, I was talking to people, asking them how, how I was working and how I think it's a very Christian way of acting and so forth. And all of a sudden, military people were surrounding me, and they walked me through the town, and they took me to a place, I think it was a military barracks, and they questioned me for a long time there in the hot sun. They asked me all kinds of questions, and fortunately, I knew Swahili because I had went to Duquesne University to study Swahili. So they asked me a bunch of questions, and then they said, well we're gonna put you in this jail for now. And it was a bamboo sticks in front, it was set of bars, a bamboo, and it was a clay floor, and there was nothing except maybe just a hole there, I suppose, to go to the bathroom. But they kept me there for quite a while, and then all of a sudden, this little boy comes up, and he says, I've seen you at the mission. And I says, yeah, I said, I've seen you. So he told the the military people that this guy is a priest or studying to be a priest. So they released me because of that young boy. He hadn't seen me. I'd probably still be there. (laughs) But anyway, then he brought the priest from the parish. And the guy was a Polish priest, just knew, just had come. He didn't know Swahili that well, but he was able to point to me and say, yeah, I know him. (laughs) And so they released me on my recognizance, I guess. <laughs> that's why one reason I didn't, I joined the Amnesty International when I came to Casa Maria is because I realized how many people are unjustly imprisoned and we could do something about it by pointing out the fact that that's unjust to put somebody in prison simply because of their, their beliefs or their standing in life. So it helped me to determine what I would do in my later
0: life. So you're saying that's one of the reasons that maybe you didn't feel tremendously motivated to go back to Tanzania?
2: No, I wasn't afraid of that at all. The reason why they arrested me is because at the time there was freedom fighters in Mozambique who were trying to get themselves away from the Portuguese who had control of their country. They were oppressed by the Portuguese, and so they wanted to break out of that. And so when I was arrested, they thought I was a person who was Portuguese- who was trying to solicit help (laughs) to fend off the ones who are resisting, the ones who want to create freedom for their country. So that was why I was arrested. It had nothing to do with my criminal activity. It it had to do with uh, that they thought. There was a number of the Portuguese who were trying to solicit help for controlling the resistance.
0: So speaking of criminal activities, it seems to me that you've gotten into a lot of that over the last 50 years. That is to say, usually it's fighting for civil rights or good in one way or another. As a matter of fact, I remember at the first time that, again, I was involved in war tax resistance myself, you were part of that group, I believe you brought the truck with the food that we hauled off afterwards to go to a food pantry, but one of the things they had insisted upon was that we not take any literature with us into the IRS room, we were by the government building in front, you had come to clearness that you would be willing to go in and distribute literature inside about war tax resistance issues, about justice and violence and the portion of the federal budget going to the military. So you tried to slip past and get inside and do that, and they hauled you away. They didn't arrest you that time. But I think Don Timmerman has been arrested a number of times. Is that? Do I speak truth there? Yeah, over 100 times over a hundred times. What a rap sheet you must have. Any arrests that you're particularly proud of, or particularly happy, or maybe were influenced by? I'm proud of all of them.
2: (laughs) I am very happy with all of them because we can remain silent when injustice is happening, but when we remain silent, we're cooperating with the injustice. So we have to speak out, we have to go up against the people that are doing the injustice and demand that they practice justice. One of the things, too with tax resistance is you're always in jeopardy of having the IRS getting on your case. Well, it just so happened that I was working a night shift because I had to get some money for Casa Maria, too. So I worked nights and I worked at a Lutheran Social Services placement for boys who were criminally charged, kind of like a halfway house. I went there and I was working. And then all of a sudden, the IRS sends me a letter saying that I haven't been paying my federal taxes. I told them that, why I wasn't doing it. And uh, they said, well, you can't do that. And now they started garnishing my wages. I at the first, they were taking all of my wages. And then they took, I pleaded with them to give me some money because I had to support my two kids at the time. And, and I had to support Casa Maria. So they allowed me to have some money, but it was never enough. I think they allowed me like $150 a month, but the rest of it they took. I tried to get it back. I was unsuccessful. I tried to get Lutheran Social Services to say that I was okay, you know, that I was giving the tax money to Casa Maria. It was a non nonprofit group. They didn't uh, accept that. They kept taking the money. They said I owed $15,000 or something in past taxes or something. But I never really kept track of any of that because I wasn't making any money. <laughs> you know, I was volunteering my time at Casa Merida. I wasn't making a dime. <laughs> and they were charging me for, you know, with penalties this tax. And I couldn't believe it. And even though I explained why I was resisting taxes and why I wasn't paying, they still didn't accept that.
0: You mentioned, Don, that you were a seminarian while you were in Tanzania. You came back. You got convinced in 1972 to be part of Casa Maria, the Catholic worker house in Milwaukee. Does that mean you did not finish up your priestly training? No,
2: I finished up four years in Tabora, Tanzania. It was a major seminary. We taught theology, it was uh, Kipala Pala, it was a school for the indigenous people who were wanted to become priests, and who would study theology. So I, I was allowed by the bishop to go there, and they explained to me that there would be no exceptions for me, you know, I had to live like the rest of the students lived, and so I did. I ate the same food, and I grew up in the same building, and all of that, and then I was ordained. I was ordained by Cardinal Gwamba, who was the first cardinal in, in Africa, my first mass was celebrated in Lukaledi, which is the first mission that they sent me to. So that I was a priest. Yeah. When I came back from Tanzania, I served about three years as a priest on the diocese in Lukaledi, and then I came back for leave. Like I said, that's when I came across Casa Maria and all this started.
0: You mentioned having children, and I assume that I mean somewhere along the way you lost your status as a priest. I don't. I don't know exactly what that's called.
2: No, 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 no. I, I <laughs> when I was in Casa Maria, I married one of the workers there. We had a couple of children together, two girls. I supported them, and that's why I was also I was I was concerned that I I needed to support the girls, so I needed to have the money to support them. And if all my money was taken by the IRS, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I was married at Casa Maria. We had two children. And she divorced me because she had problems, psychological problems, it turned out. But I remarried since then. I married another woman, and I live with her now. Roberta is her name. I wrote all this in a in a book called Midwife of Grace. It's an autobiography of my life.
0: And people can get a hold of Midwife of Grace again, this book by Don Timmerman. I've got the website for this on northernspiritradio.org. You'll find out more about Casa Maria and the work that Don Timmerman's been doing there for 50 years at casamariacatholicworker.weebly.com. But again, it's easier if you just come to org, follow the link to Don. But let's talk a little bit more, Don, about war tax resistance what you're doing this year, what you've done in past years. Again, it was 41 years ago that you and I were part of the group that were witnessing against payments of taxes for war as part of war tax resistance in Milwaukee. You brought that idea from something you'd seen elsewhere. Any particular other fruitful ideas about how you convey this to the public that you want to speak about, ways to speak about war tax resistance so people can actually hear
2: Every year, we had an event where the money that was resisted from the IRS, was refused to the IRS, was gathered, and it was called the Alternative Life Fund, and the money that tax refusers refused to pay was given to a charity or a group that we felt was contributing to life and not taking away life. So we did that every year. We had formed the Alternative Life Fund, which was its own bank account and everything, And we gave the money every year to a charity of some sort. Also what we did, every year we had an event called the Boston Tea Party, and we would recall how people refused to pay taxes at the Boston Tea Party, and we reminded the people that they can resist, they can refuse to pay this money that is used for war and weapons of war, and can be used instead to help people. That was our whole deal. So every year we did something to create an environment where people could learn more about us and why we're doing things like this. And then Tom Boswell took over after a while. He was he became the president of the more tax resistance in Milwaukee.
0: Some of the other things I remember doing while I was still in Milwaukee, particularly on tax day, or we would do this generally weekly leading up to tax day, included having people vote. We had spent uh, bullet casings and we had bread and people could say, you know, take one of the shells and put it in to vote for increased military spending and put a piece of bread to vote for human needs. And I think nine people that year did the bullet casings and some hundreds did the bread voting. That was one way to raise up awareness of the fact that fifty percent of our federal tax dollar goes to paying for the military. And question how what do we really need to increase funding for? Do we really need to throw another hundred billion dollars at the military? No, that's horrible.
2: I mean, it's really a sin. I <laughs> it really is, that people would actually pay money so that people would be killed by our young people, you know, our soldiers. They don't think in those terms, but that's really what it is, is, that your money is being used. And not just a little money, I mean, almost 50% of it is used in some way for the military. And if we used most of the money for human needs, we could solve a lot of the problems that are in the world. That's so important, and people have
0: to understand that. Do you feel, Don, that your war tax resistance, your attempt to keep the money from going to the military, has it been effective from your point of view, whatever that means to you?
2: No, we don't usually do things because they're effective. We do things because it's the right thing to do. You know, if we only do what is practical or what's effective, you know, we're not going to do much resistance. That's always the thing that Dorothy Day taught in The Catholic Worker was that you do things not because it's a benefit to you, but that you do things because it's, you know it's the right thing to do when your conscience tells you that it's the right thing to do. And then you go ahead and do it and you take the consequences for
0: it. Maybe I need to just ask my question a different way. And I said, has it been effective in terms of raising up good in the world? I wasn't saying, is it effective in terms of making Don Timmerman richer or anything like that? I'm just, I'm asking, do you feel like it's achieved what you've hoped to achieve? Which, and when I said whatever that means to you, for me, sometimes I do something simply because I know that it would grievously violate internally what is my moral certainty. And so, yeah, it's effective that way. But I'm also wondering if you think the federal government had less money for war because of you or that more people were inspired to resist the military madness because of the war tax resistance you've practiced. I'm just wondering in which ways you think being a war tax resistor has tipped the scales for the world in the correct direction.
2: I think most people that have seen us do this, understand our reason why and they agree with the reasons but what's fearful of them is the fact that they might be punished by the IRS they fear that their lives may be affected adversely for a long time because of their refusal to pay it's hard to say how many people actually were affected in a way that they refuse to pay i don't know how many people that there are that do that i never really taken a <laughs> have an opinion poll of this whole thing or to find out what people really have done as a result of our actions. But I do know that, like you said, with that voting thing, I mean, a hundred people gave bread and seven people gave bullets. They understand the problem. It's just that I don't
0: know if they have a good spot to go ahead and do something about it. You know what I'm saying? Of course. A lot of people can nod their heads and say, that's good. I'm glad you're doing it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's what they, that's what usually they say. Yeah. And uh, I've talked to people that have said, well, how can I do this? You know, I got to raise a family. I got to, I can't go up against the IRS. They're way too powerful. I don't want to ruin my life. You know, I don't want to ruin my family's life. You know, or you have a a partner in marriage that doesn't agree with you. So what are you going to do then? Are you going to overrule your partner and just go ahead and resist? And you get in all kinds of trouble, or are you going to go along with your companion in marriage? So it's a hard decision for people to make.
0: Quite so. I've got to break in here quickly. We're going to finish our visit with Don Timmerman next week in Part 2, and then we'll also catch up with Kathy Deppi. On our way out, though, I'll regale you with a little music from the great Charlie King, a song called Don't Pay Taxes, performed along with Karen Brando. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week for part two of this topic on Spirit in Action. Take it away, Karen and Charlie.
3: The IRS says pay your dues. Business doesn't. Why should you? Don't pay taxes. And Ron skipped a year or two. Show the tax man you're no fool at all. yearly aggravation just pretend that you're a corporation and tell them that you're working hard drilling oil wells in your yard don't pay your tax a package you don't want or need arrives this April COD don't I've got you on their mailing list. Don't pay taxes. Please report these sleazy overspenders. Mark your tax return, return to sender. Call John Ashcroft or any Fed. It's obscene, unsolicited. Don't pay. That you pay for more, kill people in El Salvador. Don't pay taxes. If some escape to this fair land, your dollars send them back again. Don't pay taxes. The generals say they want you where they got you, they got you by in Black Hawk helicopters. You work for peace, you pray for it. If you hate war, don't pay for it. Don't pay your tax. Yeah, tell the IRS this year. Let them know the buck stops here and don't.